many of you um, <laughs> how many of you felt like you felt a little bit of presence today? Yeah? That was good. <clears throat> got a spot right there. I had to make sure Dan got us um, iced coffee because I prefer him caffeinated. <clears throat> Which reminds me, the other day I was talking with um, um, our church administrator, Kelly, who works virtually. She actually lives in Ohio, but she manages most of the digital stuff at Thrive Church and a lot of my calendar and that sort of thing. And I was talking with her on the phone. <clears throat> and as we were talking on the phone, um, she, uh, we are probably f- seven to ten minutes into the call, and she, she just says uh, to me, um, have you had your morning coffee yet? I said, no, why? She goes, I can tell. Call me back when you've had some. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway. Well, I'm glad that you're here. Um, I'm glad that the presence of God is here and that we can all be together today. Last week, um, I began to outline um, the course that I think God has set for us as a church. And... um, <clears throat> that uh, he's showing us the way forward, hence the name of the, of the series that we're in. And I, I think this has been um, an important thing for me to kind of work out, but I think it's important for, for the church. And, and I'll tell you right now, I don't know if I necessarily have all of the details mapped out, but I trust that the Lord is going to reveal those things as we go along. And so um, keep that in mind as we're kind of putting um, this together. And, and really, here's my, my thesis. This is the thing that I'm kind of working off of, that <clears throat> when we talk about the Great Commission, we're really good with the, the going and the baptizing part um, but not necessarily in the making disciples and teaching part, teaching all that I have commanded. And it, it strikes me that over the years, what we may have lost a, a little bit of is this notion of what is it that we're actually trying to teach. And I think central to making disciples is that we want to make disciples who love God and love people. Remember, because that's the great, the great commandment, right? I mean, Jesus was really clear about that. And so uh, the the only way that I can describe this is that this is kind of what we call first principles. You know, first principles are those ideas that are the most basic. You can't get more basic than that. And and when I look through the text, for me, that's where it all um, lands, is on this idea that the world has changed when we love God and we love other people, period. But I don't think that this notion of loving um, God and loving people comes naturally. I think we gotta learn how to do it and sometimes have to discipline to it. And, and frankly, we need somebody to teach us. Um, of course, you know, you've got Jesus doing that, but, <clears throat> but ultimately, we've, we've got to think in terms of loving God and loving people, and the, and the scripture seems to be pretty clear is that you've got basically, I'm going to call them two entities. You have disciples, and then you have groups of disciples, and the Bible calls that a church. And the Bible doesn't really care how many people are in a church. 
In fact, that's why I continually go back to this idea that where two or more are gathered, you got two people in Jesus, you got a church. Now, it may not be the most effective church, but you still got church. And so what we're trying to do is saying, how do we do this? How do we um, look at, at church? And I will tell you, the more that I spend time with this kind of two-by-two sort of simple grid and the first principles on this, this can radically change your notion of church. And it will really challenge some of the things that, that I think in a modern church has done or um, uh, might do in the future. I really believe that. But there's a, a, a challenging notion to this. Um, one of the things that I think uh, most people get frustrated is, well, we've never done it that way before. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I was consulting with a church a few years ago and I reminded them that their church is perfectly designed to achieve the results that they're actually achieving right now. And if there are not the results that you necessarily want, you probably need to make some changes. And everybody loves the idea of change as long as they don't have to change, right? <laughs> it's kind of funny how that works. Um, yeah, I really would like growth as long as you don't ask me to do anything different. Anyway, so... <clears throat> Um, but how do we learn how to, to love God and love people, not only individually as a church? Um, in, in each of these particular areas, these four areas, what we're after here is the presence of God. And I think, I think Miss Kay was right when she was praying up here, is that it's this notion of presence. Because um, love God, love people, a great way of saying that is we want to be in his presence so that we can eventually be his presence to someone else. Because he chose us. He partners with human beings. I don't know why. He just does. And uh, as flawed and as ridiculous and as wretched as we are sometimes, he still chooses us. And he says, yeah, I want to partner with you to do this. And I'm, I'm thankful that he, that he, that he does, but... <clears throat> We want his presence in all four of these, these areas, these quadrants, so to speak. <clears throat> and so we are becoming a, um, a, a presence-centered church. And over the, the next couple of weeks, I want to sketch this out in a little more detail, not a ton, but a little more detail, just so that you can kind of see where we're going. And so today, we're going to start looking at um, the individual sections, when we talk about disciples in particularly. And, and kind of central to, m to my, my discussion today is really how does a disciple love God? How do we as disciples love God? Now, I, okay, I'm going to use a, a relatively silly example, but I think you'll understand uh, what I mean by this. To love God is not to just sit in a room and just saying, I love you, God, I love you, God. God, I love you, I love you, God. God, I love you, love you, God. Love you. Now, please understand, there, from time to time, you want to do that. We just sang one of those songs, didn't we? You know, a little while ago, we talked about the love of God. <clears throat> and we want to sing that, and we want to do that over time. Now, let's equate this with something that a, a few of us um, might know a little bit better. How would it work in your marriage if the only thing you talked to your spouse about was just how much you love them? Now, there are some wives and husbands who are elbowing each other right now saying, well, it wouldn't hurt if you would like say it a few more times, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that your relationship that you have consists more of just telling each other that you love them. Now, you want to do that, of course, but that's not the only thing that's going on in a relationship. 
So if you just kind of sat there and looked at your, your spouse adoringly and you're batting your eyes and you're only saying I love you, let me know how that works out. Eventually you're going to drive them crazy. Because there's more, there's more to love than, than simply saying it over and over and over again, repeating it. And you want to develop some type of relationship with them, and you can't have a single line or a single phrase that it's actually going to get you anywhere. Does this make sense? Okay, I'm using a silly example, but I think it illustrates the point. So how does a disciple love God? So we're in this upper quadrant, <coughs> and we, we're calling that here the encounter. This is the encounter that we try to have with God on a regular basis. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. This is the place where we regularly check in with God. We learn about who he is. And at the same time, in this moment, we also learn who we are. This is a question of identity. If you want to know what who if you want to know who you are in Christ, if you really want to understand your identity, it comes here in your encounter. Because God has some things to say about you. He has some things to say in his word about you. If you don't believe me, read Ephesians chapter 1. There's some powerful things in there. And you, you should take those to heart that he's actually talking to you about these things. But that's part of the encounter. You learn your identity in your encounter. You learn these things in the throne room of God. <clears throat> we chase after his presence, you've heard me say that before, preferably daily. Makes sense to do that. And I would say that this is the most basic way of loving him. It's to seek him. Because you're only going to seek something that you value. And if you want a relationship with God, you've actually got to pursue him a little bit. Not that he's that hard to catch, don't get me wrong. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that this encounter happens on, uh, on a regular sort of basis, but this is where we develop that relationship with him. <clears throat> um, and so when we enter that throne room, um, we learn all of these things, and at the same time, we often receive instruction and insight. Now, I don't know about you, but there are days where I could really use some insight into what's going on, not just in my own personal life, but in the world uh, around me. Because we get a lot of inputs. It's called a cell phone. And it's like we've got access to so much information, but not necessarily meaning. And so when you enter the throne room and you're encountering God, one of the things that you look for is, God, give me insight into what's going on. And, and maybe it's not just on a political level, although if that's your interest, hey, that's cool. You know, geopolitics or whatever. But maybe it's just, hey, what's going on in my own family? What's happening with my spouse? Lord, I have some people that I dearly love and I know they're going through some things and I want to make sure that I am doing what you want and need me to do in midst of that. And Lord, please give me that kind of insight. And so we receive those kinds of instructions and that insight. Sometimes it's prophetic, sometimes it's not. And frankly, this is what we've been talking about for the last few years, about this idea of chasing after the presence of God. And now I hope when you look at this kind of uh, little grid, this, these quadrants, you begin to see how this fits into a larger whole. 
There's more to it than that. Now, some of you might remember, um, I should have put an illustration up and I, I didn't think about it till later, but um, we talk about the triangle, right? At the top of the triangle is your life. Um, and one corner is you and the other corner is God. And we were talking the bottom of the triangle is right here in the encounter. Because I don't know about you, it's really hard for me to do my life without, without the empowerment of God to to, to show me, number one, what to do and how to do it. It's just too much. And so I need God to do that, and here is what we call the bottom of the triangle. So if you hear us talking about the bottom of the triangle, this is what we're talking about. This is the, the encounter. And what I want to say uh, here today is that this idea of encounter has biblical precedent. Because I didn't just make this up. Okay, <laughs> like there's, there's actually reasons behind why we're calling it this and what we're attempting to do here, what I'm tra- attempting to illustrate. So there's some biblical pres- precedents, and I want to walk you through a couple of things. Now, first of all, I'm going to tell you right up front, because this is first principle stuff, this, this ain't rocket surgery, okay? This is really simple stuff. This is stuff that you've heard before, but I hope that we're trying to organize it in a way that it makes a little more sense to all of us especially me, okay? So I'm just telling you, I like pictures. Pictures help me understand things. If I can't draw it, I don't understand it. So I literally try to draw these things out. So here we go. I want you to notice what Jesus did. There's a really good example. Let's start with Jesus, okay? Mark chapter one, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Um, Some translations, it's a lonely place, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Well, yeah, he just did some healings a couple verses back, right? Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Which I I simply love Mark's uh, candor and his brevity. Because it's one thing to hear a preacher preach. It's something else entirely to see evil spirits being driven out. Can we agree with that? I will tell you right now, I've had two encounters with evil spirits. I do not desire a third. Thank you. But here Jesus is, and this is just regular for him. He's just going around the countryside. He's doing his thing. That is why I have come, he says. In fact, John, the author, uh, writes in uh, 1 John, can't remember where it is off the top of my head, but he says Jesus came to undo the works of the evil one. We get to do that? Uh Uh-huh. We have this idea here that there's precedent sent, but I want you to notice the the thing that sets the stage for all of it is is that he went to a place and he prayed. Okay? He got alone with God. He just finished a season of ministry. He's getting ready for a new season of ministry, and what does he do? He stops and he checks in with God. Now, here's the thing. That just makes logical sense. Well, of course Jesus would do that. Why aren't you? Now, I'm not trying to be accusatory on that. I'm just saying, is like, look, 
If you are engaged in any type of ministry, if you're engaged in any type of real life, and I know you are, it might be a good idea to check in with the one who can empower you to live it. This is why the triangle is so important. <clears throat> and that, that moment when you're prepping for another season of ministry is a great time for a check-in. And I don't know about you, but I need that daily. That's just not like a one, one and done sort of thing. I mean, it's a daily kind of occurrence for me. And, and lest you think that it was one and done just for Jesus, Luke records this in chapter 5. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see the precedent? There is this notion where Jesus understood that he was going to be expending a lot of energy, and where did he go to recharge his battery? He went back to his relationship with his father. Is this making sense? Again, this is basic. This is not rocket surgery. You have heard other preachers preach this, not just me. This is a common thing, but there's a reason for it. Reason why we go back to those fundamentals. So Jesus often withdrew. Now, here's the thing. Great. So Jesus carved out some time um, and checked in with God. What do you suppose happened in those sessions? Because Mark and Luke don't tell us. It just says he prayed. Now, here's my question. Think about how you pray and ask yourself, is that the way Jesus prayed? Again, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or anything. I'm just asking you to do kind of an uh, objective sort of reflection on how you operate in your Christian walk. Does Jesus have a laundry list of things that he brought to God? Oh God, please help that Peter. I'm sure he did, but I'm not, I don't think that was all that was going on. And I think this is really important <clears throat> because John, the beloved disciple, actually gives us a little bit of a clue as to what these things entailed by the words of Jesus himself. Let me show you a couple of these. This is really quite interesting. So, <clears throat> John chapter five. Jesus is making a comment. By myself, I can do nothing. This is Jesus talking. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Interesting, right? I can't do it by myself. And if you think I'm, you know, judging, I'm only, I'm only telling you what I'm hearing, okay? Don't believe me? Good, I got more. Chapter 8. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Now, how do you think that he is um, going to be taught by the Father if he's not spending time with him? I think sometimes we believe that Jesus is like some type of, of, of supercomputer that, that God just downloads programs into his head or something. I don't think that's the case at all. Why? Because Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. You beginning to see this? For, uh, chapter 12. 
For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. I'm going to tell you this is one of my prayers. I don't want to say anything God doesn't want me to say. When I got out of seminary, I really thought it was about knowledge transfer. The, the, the preacher would go to the Word and would mine the Word and try to come up with this little gem and then would polish it up and share it with everybody else. And I realized uh, after a couple of years that it wasn't really like that at all. But it really comes down to, God, this is your church. What is it that you want to say to your people? I'm just the associate. I get to be the associate. I like being the associate. And let me tell you, it takes a lot of pressure off the preacher. Because I want to say the things that he wants me to say. Because I don't know what you need. I might think I know what you need, but I don't really know what you need. But I know that he does. Because he knows the hearts and minds of all men and women. I think that's important. So whatever Jesus said is just what the Father had told him to say. And he admitted that. He confessed that out loud. Here we go, chapter 14. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. We just talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So it's not just the things that he says, but the things that he's doing, the types of ministry that he's engaged in is really what the Father commanded. I was thinking about this the other day because sometimes the way we approach um, praying for other people, um, sometimes we we can make it a little clunkier than it is, okay? Now, from time to time, people will will ask um, uh, for healing prayer. And First and foremost, uh, n- I never say no to that. Um, but here's the deal. I'm not going to take credit if that person gets healed. And if I don't take credit for it, that means I don't have to take blame if they don't get healed. Okay? So the pressure's off. I'm just going to do what God has commanded me to do, and that's to pray for the sick. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to continue to pray for it. Um, the founder of... Uh, uh, the Vineyard Movement, John Wimber, made this comment. He said, you know, we'll do these you know, prayer meetings at these conferences and we'll you know, try to explain to people how to do it. And <laughs> he said, from time to time, I'll get a letter that says, uh, hey, you know, I tried what you, uh, what, what you said and it didn't work. And Wimber makes this comment. This is beautiful. He says, you know, after you've prayed for about 10,000 people, then come and let's talk. Because he'll, he'll tell you, or he said uh, in the very early days, they used to pray for people all the time and nothing happened, but they kept praying. And that's, that's, the, that's the approach that I, I want to take, is I want to do exactly what the Father commanded. I know at the very minimum, I need to pray for people who are sick. And I'm going to keep praying, and I'm not going to worry necessarily about my prayers being answered in that moment. I really want the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit of God can do. Do you understand? That only happens in the encounter. I want to hear what God has to say about them. I want to develop that sensitivity to his voice so that I can actually actually hear him. We'll talk more about that in a moment. 
But the point that I'm trying to make with all of this is that Jesus is the precedent. First and foremost, he goes and he withdraws and he carves out time to spend with God and then the things that he hears, the things that he learns, that's what he goes and he does. Are you seeing that? Again, not rocket surgery here. This is really important. This is really basic kinds of thing. But taken as a whole, it implies to me that Jesus had a cultivated relationship um, with God himself. Now, of course, this developed over a period of time because when we read the Gospels, we get about three years of his life. Probably some 30-odd years where he was working on developing this relationship. But we can see the mature practice that he had. As a mature follower of God himself, he withdrew, he connected with God, and then he did the things that God told him to do. Okay? And so I think from that, there is an example for us to follow as well. Now the upshot for us believers, for those of us who, who followed, followed Jesus, is he, he left his presence with us. He left a counselor, an advocate. Here it is again in John 14, a few verses earlier. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or counselor to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So you're not alone in this. You actually have the presence of God who resides in you in his Holy Spirit, and so you are not alone. And it's not that difficult to pause for a moment and check in with him. It's not like you've got to go through this big old ritual to try to get God's attention. No, 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 no. I'm leaving this with you. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another, the one who's, who's going to spend time uh, with you. And the, the point of all of this is that we can have a continuing conversation with God. The Holy Spirit is always with us. Again, this is really basic stuff. I know you've heard this before. I'm trying to put this together in a, in a uh, more of a cohesive package. But I think what often happens with a lot of us is that it's the missing resource. It's that one thing. How many of us have actually been taught how to develop a relationship with Holy Spirit? I mean, think about it. Now, you may have, um, maybe you had one, one of those Sunday school teachers that despite the flannel graph, you got the uh, notion that you are supposed to actually connect with, with Holy Spirit. That was not something that necessarily I grew up with. So maybe what I could say here, quite frankly, is I am preaching for myself. Maybe you've got all this stuff worked out, and if you do, pray for me, because I'm trying to learn how, how, all, of this, how all of this works together. But we're trying to develop this relationship with with Holy Spirit so that we can go and do the thing, so we can actually um, uh, mimic or follow Jesus as he directs us. So the question, I think, is how do we then go and cultivate that type of relationship? How do we go about doing that? Because I never got taught that other than, yeah, pray to read your Bible. Maybe go to Sunday school. Whatever. But there's a way that it's not dependent on somebody else teaching you that Holy Spirit might actually want to teach you some stuff too. I'm more interested in you being connected to Holy Spirit, letting him teach you, and um, you know, I'll walk with you as much as you want me to, but the, the point is, is I think that the better teacher is him. Okay, And this is kind of where I think rubber meets the road. 
And I want to I suggest a couple of things to, to help you. And the first, first notion is this, is that you might, you might want to actually carve out some time. Um, unhurried time where you can connect with God. Now, I need to hit the pause button here because I think this is really important. You need to hear me say this. I will not, I refuse to shame you into doing something if you're not, if, if I, I just, I won't shame you into doing anything. I'm not gonna bludgeon you with the Bible. I'm not interested in doing that. There's enough shame in the world I don't need, you know, the church doesn't need to add that, add any more of that into the world. That, that's not the point. So if you're feeling bad because you're, you're, not, you're not feeling connected, if you're feeling bad about yourself because you're not feeling connected, I'm gonna say this, that is not from God. God is not going to make you feel shameful because you're not connecting with him. More often than not, what God will do is like, oh, I got some stuff for you. Oh, you don't wanna miss this. And, and from, from my own life and my own experience with God, it's almost always that way, that there's a certain amount of conviction where I feel like, oh, God has something more for me. Not, oh, man, I'm such an idiot. Why, did I, why don't I do this? And I do that too. But the point is, that is not from God. There's no condemnation when you're in Christ Jesus. There's always this conviction that there's something better for you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm not going to shame you into this. It's a great idea for you to carve out some time and to connect with God. But don't feel shameful about it. I just don't want you to miss out. Okay? I'm not going to beat you up over that one, but at the same time, I want you to take it seriously that, that you know, there might be something um, that you're missing out on. I don't want you to do that. <clears throat> and so what I'm saying here is that it, to, to carve out this time means that it's possible to actually have a conversation with God himself. You can actually talk with him, and he'll talk back to you. And, and it's not only possible, God wants to do that with you. That's something that he wants. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's normal. It's a normal thing for God to, to speak to you. And it's a normal thing for you to listen. So if you're a follower of Jesus, that conversation is normal. Now, <clears throat> in that time that you carve out, pray, of course, but also spend some time listening. And this is where people get a little, a little weirded out, to be honest. Because we, we haven't necessarily learned his voice yet, and so we, we, we kind of wonder. And so what, I'm, what I'll tell you to do, uh, I think this is important, is that as you're listening, you want to pay attention to certain words or phrases that come to your mind. Sometimes they just pop into your head. You don't know where they come from. Sometimes it's a name of a person, but um, sometimes it's words or phrases. Sometimes it's images. Or like I said, it might be people. <clears throat> or it might be a, a scripture passage. That's the way that it's worked out for me over the last, I don't know, probably year, year and a half. Uh, it just happened to me the, again the other day. I was uh, praying for somebody in my small group and a passage came to my mind. And every time that passage comes up, I know it's never the passage. It's always either a few verses before or a few verses after and that means I gotta go read the whole chapter. And that's usually the Lord saying, you need to spend more time in my word. Okay, 
I can do that, God. I'm, I'm happy to do that. But that's what happens for me. Your mileage is going to be different. Certain things may, may come to your mind. Or if you're reading your Bible, pay attention to something that jumps out at you. If you've got a word or a phrase that jumps out at you and you just don't know what it is, that is a great time to say, hey, God, why is this one interesting to me? That becomes a rich conversation. And God, I think, I think God's there going, come on, ask me. I want to tell you about these things. And so he, he pops these things into our minds or he highlights certain things. And Anything that crosses your mind in that moment of listening, feel free to ask the Lord about it. God, why is this coming to my mind right now? Why, why now? What's going on? So that's the first thing. Pray and listen. 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 Sometimes I think I just get my laundry list and I'm like, check, and I think the Lord has a lot of things he wants to say and, and I miss out. I don't want to miss out. So here's the, the other part to this. So you've, you've carved out some time. You're, you're listening. Record what you hear. If there's a word or phrase or if there's a Bible passage, write it down. Put a date on it. This is not a dear diary kind of thing. It's just an entry on a piece of paper that you can refer back to. It just might be from God, but if you put a date on it, then you'll have a chance to refer it. I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, a couple of years ago, I can't give you the details, but um, a couple of years ago, uh, the Lord downloaded something to me um, about a person in my life that I knew was um, not going to occupy the same position anymore in my life. And I was like, oh boy. And interacted with that individual and um, enjoyed those interactions. Um, but sure enough, um, it was probably two years later, the person went on to do something uh, do something else, and I don't have the same contact with that individual anymore. Two years. And I know that because I wrote it down. And I can go to my journal right now, two, maybe three years ago now, and I can actually look, because I know it was in May. I don't, know, I don't remember why it was in May, but it was in May where the Lord had downloaded this, this thing for me. Two years. But I only know that because I wrote it down. Does this make sense? So the Lord confirmed that I had actually heard from him. Two years. <clears throat> Again, your mileage may vary. There might be a completely different thing. I'm just telling you this is what my experience is. And I think that it's very useful to record these things, to put a date on it, because then you can see the activity of the Lord. Isn't that cool? So when somebody comes and asks you, hey, where do you, where do you think God's working in your life? You can go, well, let me tell you. Right? Now, as you might imagine, the tool that many of us use is a journal. It's, it's just, just a tool. It's a written record of our interaction with God. It is a reference point. Now, I know uh, a couple of things. First of all, <laughs> Jesus didn't have a journal. <laughs> okay? I understand that. There's no evidence to suggest that in the text that Jesus actually had a journal. But I'll tell you what. I'll make you a deal. Okay, 
when you start hearing and healing and acting like Jesus, you can drop your journal. Does that make sense? If you start hearing like Jesus and you start doing ministry like Jesus does, then you can drop your journal. That's all right. I'm just joking. The, the point that I'm trying to, to make with this is that if you have a place, and, and if you don't want to do the Dear Diary thing, you don't have to do that. Just have a place where you record what it is that God might be saying to you so that you don't forget. Because I know you, because I know me, I'm going to get distracted. I'm going to get sucked into the black hole that is Netflix or YouTube, just like you do. Oh, come on, I know. Don't lie, you in church, right? So we know, we know that we, we tend to be distracted by a million different things, and we find ourselves forgetting some of the things that God said. And, and what's interesting to me is that when it comes back around, we're like, oh, yeah. And if you have some way of recording that, you can periodically go back. Every now and then, I go back through my journals. I've been doing this for 15 years. And uh, I, in fact, I can honestly say that there is some stuff that I was writing about 15 years ago that I'm still working on now with God. There's an evolution, and I can see that evolution, and because there is an evolution of that, I can thank God for it. I can say, God, look, look how far I've come. Thank you for that. Some type of record to remind you and give you a reference point in your journey with him. And so the essence of the encounter here is listening and recording as we pray, and the, the journal just gives us that reference point. This is not dogmatic. This is not something to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to help you with a tool that I know works. If you come up with another one, cool, let me know what it is so that I can tell other people about it. Hey, by the way, I know so-and-so, and they work this way, and it, it's really great. I personally love pen and paper. That's, that's just how I roll, because I like to draw pictures. I have a friend of mine, he does all of his journaling in Evernote. I don't know how he does it. Makes me crazy. But he's got this program, Evernote, and he'll draw a picture, and then he'll take a picture of it, and he'll put it in Evernote. And what I really like is his database is searchable. I just can't do it. For whatever reason, I like pen and paper. That's just how I do it. You do what works for you. God didn't care. He's just more interested in having a conversation with you. So however you choose to use a tool to help you remember those things, you can do. I think that's really helpful. So the value here um, of the encounter, the, the thing that we're trying to highlight here, is really unhurried time with God. Carve out what you can. Start with five to ten minutes, whatever. But shoot for a, a, a point where you're unhurried so that you can actually hear him. Because part of the issue is with life moving at the speed literally of light when you're looking at your, at your phone. When you're literally, like sometimes you need to just slow down to be able to hear him. You gotta slow down. I slow down so I can hear the voice of God. Now, <clears throat> I don't wish my brain on anybody else, but I got a little hamster in a wheel and he's always moving constantly. In fact, sometimes I really sense that part of the reason why God wants me to slow down is to give the hamster a break. And not the break where it goes bam, bam, bam. You know, you've seen those happen with the, anyway. That's what goes on in my head. And so there's a value here of trying to be unhurried. At the beginning of the year, we talk about a theme for the year. Remember that? Back in January, which, you know, seems like forever ago and yet 
yesterday at the same time, because it's May 1st, by the way. I don't know if you realize that today. My theme for the year was unhurried. And I find that the Lord um, is making good on that theme. David, if you really want to know what I think, you're going to have to slow down a little bit more. Okay. What's going on, Lord? And usually it's like, yeah, you're not slowed down enough. Okay. I got to slow down some more. Again, the relationship you have with God is bespoke. It is couture. It is designed specifically for you. I'm simply saying, in my illustration for what my life is, here's what it looks like. Yours is going to be different, and that's okay. But the point is, is that for me, unhurried, and that's a value that I think that we have in this encounter. <clears throat> so, quick note. I think this is important. I think there's at least two costs to discipleship. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. And the first thing is that, first thing that it's going to cost you is time. It's going to cost you time. Plain old vanilla time. There's no substitute for devoting time and slowing down to be able to hear God's voice. I am fine if, it, you're learn, if you learn how to do it. If, it. if you only got two minutes in your day to spend time with Jesus, take two minutes shoot for three minutes the next day or five minutes, whatever it happens to be. The point is, is that you start somewhere and it's going to cost you some time. There is a cost. Jesus even talked about this, that there's a cost to discipleship. I'm going to talk about that again at some point in the future. And I'm going to tell you the other thing that's going to cost you because I, I don't want you to be unaware of these things because they will surprise you. Not only will it cost you time, but it will cost you your pride because you're going to feel foolish. There are moments when you are following God where you feel completely and utterly foolish. The most common place where I see this is did I really hear from God? Did God really say that? Or was that just my voice? Was that just something that I thought? Was that just something in my head? Because if this is God, oh boy, I don't know if I want to do that. Or, oh, I want to do that, but I want to make sure that it's really God's voice and I'm not just, you know, fooling myself into believing. And you, you do, you sit there and you have these conversations and you're like, well, is that really God's voice? I'm not really sure about, and you feel foolish. Because there's this part of you, this accusation that comes from deep inside of you, and it's not from God, by the way, but his accusation is, well, if you're a Christian, you should know that. Really? Somebody taught you how to do this. You're supposed to learn what God's voice sounds like. You're not going to get it right the first time. When you took your kids out to ride a bicycle for the first time, did you expect them to be experts the first time they got on the bike? Of course you didn't. And you, you think God who is a better parent than you are, wants you to be perfect the first time? Come on. Think about that. He wants to give you time to develop these kinds of things. And you are going to feel a little foolish. And that's okay. Because as you go along, you feel less and less foolish. 
but it's a cost. And I would tell you, keep at it because it is worth it on the other side. It is worth it. Do I pray for this person? Because what happens if they don't get healed? Feel pretty foolish. Doesn't matter. I'm not healing anybody. I'm just praying for them. Keep at it. It's just so worth it. Now, it strikes me that when we're in emotional turmoil um, or under stress, we get spiritual tunnel vision, don't we? We can actually get some tunnel vision there. You have to cultivate listening to God over time so that you can hear him despite the pressure. Did you get that? Because in those moments when life goes crazy, and it will, it'll go a little crazy, you're, you're going to get tunnel vision. And so you have to develop over a period of time to be able to hear his voice because when the pressure comes, that's when you need him the most. And you've got to develop that. Now, if this is something that you're interested in more, this is exactly what we tackle in depth in our discipleship class. Um, we just finished one up uh, this last Wednesday. I will probably start one again in June, I think it is. Uh, there are several people in this room that took that class. You are more than welcome to talk to, you, talk to them about it, and I'm sure they would be delighted to tell you some of the things that, that they learned or are in the process of learning. I think that's important. But this is the most crucial quadrant of the four. If we don't get this one right, then everything else becomes a little shaky. You'll see that as we go along. But everything else builds off of this idea. It is really hard to love people if you don't love God. Yes, there are people who do that. But there's always, I'll leave that for next week. That's called a hook. That means you've got to come back next week to hear me finish that. But think about it. It's very difficult to really love other people if you don't love God. And you have to learn how to do that. And you want to develop that relationship. That's how we love God first. Everything else builds off of this. And that's why I think it's the greatest commandment. Remember, Jesus was asked by that religious leader, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your, your soul, your strength, your mind. <clears throat> and then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. There's the first one. This is it. This is the basic teaching of Jesus. You gotta love God. Everything else builds off of this. God, thanks for um, your word. Thank you for the example that Jesus is. Thank you, God, that we can have confidence that you actually want us to build a relationship with you. That you invite us into that. That we don't have to simply be, um, we don't have to be passive, but we can actually be active in what you're, what you're doing in the world. You're inviting us to be a part of it, but it starts with a relationship with you. And Lord, I want to just pray for everyone who's gathered here, those who call Thrive Church their home. First, God, my prayer 
<clears throat> very deeply is that they would learn to hear your voice. Every person here would learn to hear your voice. And that they would um, take the courageous step to carve out some time to actually hear you. And that you would respond to them in such a way that they would learn and have deep confidence in their ability to hear and to understand you. And Lord, I pray too <coughs> that those who are experiencing the voice of shame, saying that they can't do it, that they're not good enough, they're not spiritual enough, Lord, I just pray that <laughs> you would speak louder than that stupid voice. And to that voice, I say, be silent in the name of Jesus. You are simply the voice of shame and you have no purpose, you have no authority, you have no power here because this, this is the Lord's church and he is in this place. And God, as we sing this last song, I pray that you would speak to the hearts and minds of everyone gathered here. You would tell them exactly what they need to hear. Holy Spirit, that you would encourage them in the way that only you can do. I'm excited to see what you're going to do, not just through Thrive Church, but what you're going to do inside of Thrive Church and the people who call this place home. That your presence would be so tangible, so palpable, that we just can't not enjoy it. Enjoy being with you. So God, come. Holy Spirit, come do the ministry work that you want to do now in Jesus' name. Amen.